0: Good afternoon, everyone. It's Jesse. This is after the gig. It's episode one oh. I want to say one oh three, but I think it's one oh four. It's one oh three. Episode one oh three. Today on the show, I have the director of operations from Telefunken Microphones, Alan Venetaj. I'm super excited to talk to Alan. Um, Andy Sorensen, who was on the show. Hooked me up with him, and I, it, it was such a great conversation. And he's such a knowledgeable, awesome dude um, in the microphone industry, but also just like a, a music, audiophile c- kind of guy and a musician. And um, it was a really great conversation. We had this conversation, I want to s- uh, probably in March or something, uh, but I took the summer off. So there might be some dates in here that uh, might not be pertinent. I hope that there's not too much of that. I haven't gone through it yet. I usually record this and then go through the episode edit and everything and all that. So I will go through that maybe even cut this part out completely. Who knows? Who knows? But I'm super excited to have Alan on. I really love the conversation. Before we get to all that, tour is over. Tour, the big five-week Carbon Leaf tour is done and we'll be doing recaps of that. And for all of you that have emailed and reached out to me, John will be on the show again. (laughs) I promise. Uh, You would think that being together constantly for the course of five weeks, we would record a bunch of stuff. But honestly, it was sleep, travel, set up, play, break down, go to sleep every single day for like 30, 31 days or whatever. So um, or whatever the however long we were out there. Um, that is what it was all about for that period of time. We weren't able to record anything. Um, not and honestly, like you just don't you just gotta sleep. You just gotta sleep, dude. So got as much sleep as we possibly could, got home, saw the family, did Halloween. Ethan dressed up like Spider-Man. It was adorable. He actually started going up to houses by himself and getting candy and then he got the taste of like a Snickers bar. It was all over. He's like, I want candy, more candy, 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 candy. So we're dealing with that now. Um, It's great. But other than that, you can email into the podcast at afterthegigapod at gmail.com. Carbon Leaf also has a new single out called Love for Sale. Go check that out. Put it on your streaming platform. Buy it on iTunes. Uh, Send it to your mom. All that good stuff. Uh, and I would love to hear what you, th- what you think about it. So you can email me. Afterthegigpod at gmail.com. And very excited about rollout of songs. I, we don't have a plan for the next one yet. But that's kind of how it'll happen. It'll be singles. And then you'll, you'll eventually hear the whole thing. The whole album. So it's very, very, very exciting. And uh, I loved playing on it. Loved playing on all the tunes. Can't wait for it to come out. I'm thinking about doing for the patrons on Patreon, a breakdown of the parts and the stems of Love for Sale as a live stream. So I'll sit here and I'll go through the song and you'll be able to hear um, isolated out vocals. You'll be able to hear my background vocals, how things are kind of built into each other, how that process works. So that is an interesting thing that I may do on Patreon. Coming up, but other than that, please enjoy this show. I really love the combo. and uh, share it, like it, subscribe, download it, whatever you got to do. Uh, love you guys, appreciate you listening always, and I will see you next week. Upcoming shows for Carbon Leaf are as follows. We have Portland on my birthday on the 10th of November, two shows there. We have Burlington at Higher Ground the next day on the 11th. And then we have on the 12th, the Sinclair in Boston, Massachusetts. The return to the Sinclair in Boston, Massachusetts. Very excited about that. So if you haven't got your tickets, go get some tickets. If you're in the Northeast, come to a show. Looking forward to seeing you all out there. All right. Enjoy the episode. Enjoy the music. Love you. See you soon. So when, when did you first start actually playing with, with bands and stuff when you were at a young age?
1: Uh, okay, so I remember going to what was called maybe a battle of a bands or a band jam and going to see two of these things happen around the same time when I started to take maybe private drum lessons. This is when I'm fifth, sixth grade, something like this. And uh, I remember being so blown away by seeing within this 90 minute, two hour window at this teen center or at this prep school, seeing three bands of kids, youths, our age, basically playing three specific genres. Like one was like a avant-garde punk band. And then another was like, this wacky funk band and then the other was like a heavy metal band and I was like wow this is this is great I think I kind of want to like do this and I remember um, initially having a drum set CB 700 and uh, wanting to really take it up a notch and I had a hockey goal made out of PVC and I was like <laughs> and I think my drums would fit into this hockey goal as like a frame like the guy from <laughs> Queensryche I recently saw you know so I So I started to ditch all my sports stuff, and it would transfer into instrument-related drum set built into a hockey goal frame trying to be heavy metal. Um, And then eventually I'm playing drums, and I go to yet another band jam, which is a bunch of older senior kids, and I see them playing, and I'm like, man, I wish I could be in that. And somehow the word got to them. They're like, hey, young kid, you want to be in our senior jam? I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll do that. And I think... In high school that was it i just turned a corner and got sucked in and uh two other very significant things that are happening at that time is i'm acquiring four track cassettes players and recorders the fostec Mm -hmm. and the tascam four track cassette stuff so this is when i'm 13 14 15 getting very obsessed with music reading the liner notes, going beyond the band. Of course, I know the band members, but what is this producer? What is this engineer guy who is the tour manager? What do these things mean? And It just started all there. So in uh, first band I played in, I played drums, and we played covers of Led Zeppelin and The Doors and some original fantasy progressive rock type stuff.
0: Would you find any of those producers and stuff in the liner notes and then go and seek out... Other records and kind of like follow the chain that way.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, on a really basic surface level, it was like Brian Eno, Daniel Lan i kept seeing those names popping up and Peter Gabriel and U2. And then I would get into uh, Andy Wallace and Rupert Hine. I was huge into Rush and, you know, listening to Yes and Pink Floyd and Genesis and all that prog stuff, Hugh Pagnum. And then going into a wormhole to like, uh, M- more indie type guy like um, Jeff Emmerich with the Beatles, and then going trying to find his stuff, or then looking more at like, um, gosh, getting more into people like who's this mixed guy Clear Mountain, and who's this engineer Kevin Killen, and like okay, I'm like listening, I'm just going yeah, total wormhole, looking for all those names and looking for bands, you know, um, and then loving loving weird, loving when I'm finding weird crossovers, being like. Oh yeah, this guy produced like Prince, so I can hear that in this production over here. That was that was awesome to start hearing up, you know.
0: Yeah, when you can put those two things together like, oh, I heard this guy do this have this little trick on this record and do the same thing over here and how it, how it works with and plays with different artists and stuff. That's that's interesting. Uh yeah, I love that. I love that.
1: It was re- really obvious to me with Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois and seeing it move from like the Peter Gabriel to the U2 to the James to the just kind of like this euro rock thing I was like really into for a bit there kind of obsessing over or UK UK rock
0: is there anybody out there today that's kind of doing something um that you like a lot that is kind of um you know carrying the torch for those artists today cuz I'm not super into that scene uh so much right. Gosh, I don't know.
1: Well, we got to sort of talk about where we left off with it. Uh, I like the soft prog aspect of things like Tears for Fears. Yeah. Right. And they just put out a new album. But 20 years ago, they ha- that was a new album for them then. And I, Both of those are, are pretty cool. But um, in the jam band scene, I guess there are some people that cross into that for sure. Humphreys um, McGee, something like yeah. that. Um, I don't know. There's some really cool instrumental bands that I like, a band called Chan. Um, and then there's, mm. a, uh, Vasudeva. There's another instrumental band that some of the
0: people I work with that, that Telefunken got me into. No, it's just, it's, it's so interesting now because there's so much out there, you know, that you have access to so much more music now than, than we ever have, you know, with Spotify and whatever. So it's, it's just so hard to pick out Certain things. And whenever I talk to somebody that really, really loves a particular type of music, I was just speaking with um, Maya DeVitri out of Nashville. She's like an old time bluegrass artist. And I was like, give me the starter pack. <laughs> you know, who, who do I go to? Because I have never, you know, the only thing that I like in that realm uh, that I, that I've gotten into is like stuff like the band and it's not really far enough. It's like, I want to go further, you know? (laughs) So
1: bluegrass, I mean, if you're talking about bluegrass, I've been into that recently for the past 10 years. I do a lot of recording in this local bluegrass festival here and it's definitely its own scene. It's really cool. It's, it's an amazing community. And it's you know, some awesome communication, almost telepathic stuff that goes on between these guys when they're, when they're playing. Um, And yeah, it's it's just a hip scene for sure. Um, There is a band called the Green Sisters from Massachusetts who are phenomenal. A band called the Bad Oats, who who we did a session with. Um, Another band called On the Trail, they're from Connecticut. Um, And then,
0: of course, we have done something, we've worked with Mile 12. So now when you're doing work with these bands, what is that thing kind of entail um when it comes to a microphone company is this is this you mentioned that it's mostly studio stuff but is it i guess live live microphone wise because yeah sure
1: so so cool so the, i'll try to explain what I, what I try to do with this um, it's mostly all in the name of marketing r&d and research so okay. the a lot of the times we're doing a sponsorship where we might sponsor a portion of a festival and when we're there we're going to have the ability to record multi-track and use our microphones exclusively during the festival. So that might be dynamic microphones, condenser microphones, or more importantly, things that we're trying to prototype. Right. So okay. um, the mic I'm talking into right now, we basically beta tested for several years at the Bluegrass Fest as a as a standalone sync mic that you'd get in front of as a group. Right. You'd all kind of sing and then move back and forth and in and out of it as you're performing. So we go to go on location, we'll bring equipment and we'll record and film uh, and use our products to test them in the real world environment. Or in the case of inviting them to Telefunken, we have a sound stage uh, and we have a project called Live from the Lab. And that's where we invite bands to come and play for us in the same sense, more of like in the name of R&D, where maybe we'll put a prototype mic out, or we'll find an artist who we haven't heard through this style of microphone. Maybe there's an amazing female vocalist who would be great through the U47 or a great touring rock band um, like you guys that would be ideal for our dynamic mics, and we'd want to have you guys check those out. So we we do it in, in, in the sense that we're gathering marketing content, and we're gathering data to hear what our microphones sound like it's just sort of like if we were a car manufacturer and we needed a racetrack in our backyard to test our cars before we sent them out to the market that's essentially what we do with it so right um,
0: is there yeah. a particular microphone or particular style of music that telefunken is trying to develop something in in particular like you mentioned that that the one mic that most most bands do it these days where they play their instruments and they come up and do an intimate version of of their set where they're all standing around and to like unplug and have something pick up everything without being too quiet and also like having the audience automatically start talking over it you know that's a that's a real challenge but um but to create that moment i know uh, ear trumpet does a good job of of something like that what what do you think about there's not really a question there i guess but
1: <laughs> uh, no no i love the riff on that i know exactly what you're talking about so that's i know that part of the show it's very important right and when bands pull that off it needs to be awesome so we've worked with uh one band that does that great is lake street dive um, oh yeah so, so lake street love dive fe- yeah female fronted uh got a lot of upright bass and they get really dynamic um honestly last time i saw them i saw that they were as like heavy as led zeppelin and as quiet as like you know, Joni Mitchell. It was crazy. The great band. Anyway, so they'll put our C. Sorry, they put our Copperhead microphone out in front, and they will come up to that. Um, and you know, to really make that work, I think they might have in ear monitors so that there is not a floor wedge that's blasting that back in front of that condenser mic. Yeah. that might be one of the best ways to do. It. Or you just rely on your on your audience to be super quiet and be really attentive and when in a lot of cases it, it's fantastic it works great but we don't necessarily um make a mic specific for that there are many mics that we make that would be fine for that application so
0: yeah that's interesting that they um that you mentioned having wearing in your monitors for that because i was like i've always wanted we do a, we do a version of that and it's always such a challenge because I'm either playing, I'm kind of playing like a marching snare drum that's mounted on me. And then I have a, like a kick. um, It's like a piezo pickup in it. It's it's called a porch board. And, um, and I'm playing that, but the only way that I'm hearing anything is through the house. And a lot of times you're in a big room and, and people start getting chatty in the bath back in the bath. um, And you're just like, you know, I wish I could hear something, but we try to take all the monitors off the stage because we're mostly on ears, but everything comes out during that portion of the show.
1: Yeah. I, I know, I know the struggle I've seen. um I've seen it done a couple different ways. Uh, Amy Helm. Uh, I've seen her drummer like you uh, almost stand like literally 10 feet back and then mm-hmm. let those guys be up front where then he still had some sort of wedge, but up front they didn't. Um, there's a, there's a couple different ways to go about it, but I know the struggle. I have no real solution, but it's cool that you get creative and try to do it. So,
0: Well, the problem, the problem for me is I carry a lot of the, the singing load too. So I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing both at the same time and you want to like make it visually appealing. You want to lean in and, and make it look cool and everything. So it's like a lot of times my foot's back here and I'm like playing the drum and then trying to lean into the microphone and sing and it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a balancing act, but we'll yeah. fig- one of these days we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I want to
1: get one of those porch board things. Do you just put it right down on the floor in the spot where you're standing and you just kind of kick it exactly. right there
0: and then you move it out when you're done with that it's section? Like, it's like if you see, you know, someone like Mumford and Sons with a kick drum, it's literally yeah. the same thing without the kick drum. You know, yeah. you're just you're you, you are just pressing down on a, on a lifted thing. It's funny. If the tempo is too fast, I have to turn it around because I'm a heel-up drummer. So I have to turn it around and use the back my heel because okay. if if I go the other way, then my my shin starts burning, like <laughs> burning. I'm like, I don't know if I can make it through this whole song, you know. So it's an interesting little little way that I've I've uh, kind of rigged the game. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So Telefunken. You got into this by working in retail with Daddy's Junkie Music, kind of going yeah. going that realm. And we had a Daddy's Junkie Music in Warwick, yeah. Rhode Island, which which I would go to all the time. I'm curious of of going into that and the history of the company. You know, I know it's a super old company, and now it's a little bit of a um, a different version of that. So I'm, I. You know, if you could tell me a little bit about tell the people a little bit about the hundred year old history of Telefunken and where it came from and um, and where we are today.
1: Sure, sure. Um, so how I got to Telefunken very briefly was yeah, well I was working in retail places like Daddy's Junkie Music and Ricardo's Music here in Connecticut, which has turned into a music and arts, which is know, part of like a Guitar Center thing. But um, one day I was literally kind of coming home i graduated university of hartford hart school of music and i was driving back to my house and i saw a building with this telefunken logo and the telefunken sign on it and i remember a friend uh telling me a story about uh, a gentleman who had a studio in the area who had, had invested in this brand and pro audio dealer thing was going on so i knocked on the door and uh said hey man i just graduated have a music degree or production degree looking for doing some studio stuff and the guy was like yeah man you should help me move this desk and i was <laughs> like what do you mean like you want me to apply for a job he's like no no just come in here and move this desk right now so that was tony fisherman he's the owner of telefunken now now his story is really phenomenal it's pretty fantastic um and you should have him on here one day too but he uh his family Is from Europe, uh, originally from Germany, and so his history with Telefunken is interesting. Um, His mother is a Holocaust survivor, and Telefunken—it was a German company that necessarily was, you know, was used in World War II. So now they are—they're kind of getting a kick out of the idea that they own this German company that is no longer used during wartime, but is used for messages of peace and love and hope and creating really awesome music. So that's one of the first stories he usually says when he talks about what's happening. But Tony was smart enough to acquire the rights to this old Telefunken brand um, about 20 years ago. Uh, And the idea is that the Telefunken license wasn't being used here in the United States. Um, It had been laid dormant. It was uh, unused and he re-registered it. And started selling products with that brand again and basically to get first use in commerce here in the US and now he has the global uh, license rights for what is called the, the pro audio division of of gear like professional audio gear now the story of telefunken itself is ancient um, and, it, and it goes like this <laughs> And I'll I'll keep it short and sweet. And no, you don't have to. Probably have to correct me on this. (laughs) On the way that I understand it is in 1903, (laughs) in Germany there was a chancellor, and there were two companies that were working on important technology for the navy. And the army or something, you know, the, the military. One of those companies was working on things that had to do with broadcast antennas and amplification things. And another company was maybe working on vacuum tubes and power. And he put these two companies together and he said, you guys are now going to be at the forefront of creating communication technology for Europe. And the name of this company is going to be Telefunken or Telefunken. And that is because tele, we know that from our phone, right? That's a the Greek word for distance. And Funken or Funken apparently is the German word to make spark or make work via spark. So to make work via spark over a distance would mean to send a communication over a spark over a distance to communicate. So it basically Telefunken means wireless communication in 1903, right? So mm. during that time, then obviously there's lots of stuff happening in Europe with war. But by the 1940s, Telefunken is making uh, a lot of the equipment used for communicating, including um, radios, antennas, vacuum tubes, microphones, speakers, compressors, equalizers, and all the sort of stuff that would go along with maybe broadcast, and then the beginning of really good recording equipment, uh, maybe lathes, cutting lathes for vinyl, recording equipment. Um, at the same time, in the United States, it's important to know that I think Western Electric, was all, that brand was also doing some similar things with microphones, but ultimately, I think Telefunken had the gear, had the funding. Um, So around the war, um, they're making condenser microphones for communication. Um, And then there's a guy named George Neumann, who is a technician who works for Telefunken. Um, He ultimately creates a lot of the really good um, equipment that they are distributing. But then Decides to leave and sort of make his own company, which would become what Neumann Microphone. So maybe you've you've heard of them. Of course. So yeah. so yeah, there's a there's a really cool history where George Neumann worked for Telefunk and then made his own company. Then, as far as I know, the war, World War II, really shakes things up and causes factories to split apart and um, assembly uh, lines to to dislocate and uh, maybe. Um supply chains are changed and things like other smaller brands start to pop up. Like I believe Microtech Gefell was is, is another microphone company that would work closely with Neumann. And then later on another big German company called Sennheiser came about, right? So so you have Neumann, Telefunken, Sennheiser all making pro audio equipment and consumer sort of things throughout Europe. At the same time in Austria is a company called AKG. Maybe you know of AKG microphones. So Telefunken, in the end, utilized production from AKG in Austria, production from Neumann in Germany, um, and as well as they partnered with DECA, um, a record label in the UK for a company called Teldec. So there was all these sort of things that they did together. Um, Vacuum tubes were the most important part of the microphones that made the microphones tick and vacuum tubes they made for other manufacturers. They made vacuum tubes for Neumann microphones and as well as other brands of radios and televisions. Um, So the story (laughs) gets even more diluted, I guess where Telefunken is making lots of consumer equipment. So maybe you have seen an old Telefunken radio or a stereo Um, they were all over Europe and Asia in the 60s, 50s and the 60s. Um, And then they, on one side, I believe they got into very technical or medical or um, the engineering field. They were doing things like microscopes and uh, things for uh, the medical field or making antennas for broadcast in like Southeast Asia. It sort of just got diluted and spread super thin. And one of the last things that Telefunken was doing is they think they had a a record label, I believe, in Europe. So you can find lots of old classic Telefunken-branded record material, right? Old um, German marches and operas and things like that. So that's sort of what I understand of how the story goes up until around the 1990s, right? In the 1990s, Then something happens where there's a vintage microphone boom where a lot of people who were recording in the 80s were sick of the digital, they didn't want this anymore. They wanted that warmer sound that they remember from the 1960s. So uh, a smart group of pro audio enthusiasts basically started hunting around for vacuum tube mics that were being thrown out from places like recording studios and churches and schools and broadcast facilities, and then bringing them back. So, a microphone that might have cost three or four hundred dollars originally in the 1940s and 50s was now about to go for ten thousand dollars in the 90s. Right? Unreal. Yeah. So, um, the story that that goes is the Elam 251 uh, microphone, which was originally made for Telefunken by AKG, if you had one of the original 2,000 units that were ever made, um, you could command more than $10,000 for one of those on the resale market. And that story, as I know, was posted or printed in the New York Times in the 1990s when they there was some article about material things that you could have invested in that are now incredibly expensive, like this Porsche or this microphone or this bar of gold or whatever. So there is a vintage microphone boom that starts in the late nineties that then leads to people looking to restore and repair broken microphones. So the person who owns Telefunken, Tony Fishman, the owner he he is incredibly enthusiastic enthusiastic about microphones. He bought a huge collection of vintage mics from a studio in Nashville. And I believe when he got them there was a this classic mic, this 251, very expensive, and he was using it and maybe it broke within the first few weeks of him using it, and he was very discouraged how could this vintage mic be broken there needs to be a place for these things to be repaired because there's there were so much so his family i think had an idea they're like tony why don't you make an attempt to reverse engineer some of these plastic pieces um there is a metal you know there's a plastic shop here and a metal shop here that we can work with let's try this and tony and his colleagues at the time um decided to do this and they reverse engineered a bunch of plastic parts that were broken in all of these microphones all over the world right now. And they brought those plastic parts to a trade show, the Audio Engineering Society show in LA or New York in like 2002. And they showed these off and people lost their minds. People came out of the woodwork being like, hey, I have this mic, it's broken. I will buy that switch from you right now to get mine repaired. So from those parts, it then... He said, you know what, I think we really need to take this to the next level. We should just rebuild the entire microphone and have all the parts available. Um, and as he's doing that, the story keeps getting crazier. Ready? <laughs> as he's doing that, I love it. <laughs> a German fellow who's living in the United States comes up to him and says, hey, Tony, I see that you are um, remaking these parts and um, do you want to do this under the name of of Telefunken? Um, if so, I know I know how you can do this. We can register the name here again in the United States, and we can do this. and And I think um, from there, Tony was able to use that information to register the Telefunken logo and actually sell the parts under the Telefunken name. That made it even more Genius. official. Yeah, and then so he truthfully did this for about six or seven years. Um, And then someone from Germany came about and said, hey, uh, I noticed that you're selling products under the the Telefunken name. Um, We actually own the Telefunken trademark in Europe. Let's work together here and kind of come up with a partnership where we protect you and you help us with some trademark things that we're working on in various territories. And in mm-hmm. 2009, there was a licensed agreement that was established that basically declared the business that we're running here in Connecticut, Telefunken USA or Telefunken Electroacoustic, as the official pro audio division of these microphones or, or these products in the world. Now, there is other Telefunken's that exist. Um, but the, I'm sorry, I got to be clear about that. There's really only one or two other telefunken companies that exist, but there are a couple telefunken license holders, which means there might be a company, uh, you know, Humphreys audio in in uh, LA that is or sorry, in South Africa that's making a telefunken light bulb. or there might be a company in Israel that's making telefunken, marine boat radio or a telefunken in poland making cell phones but those are all consumer products and the telefunken that we run here in connecticut is professional
0: audio products only gotcha so it's this is going to be a horrible analogy but it's essentially someone just taking their own version of the birthday song Instead of like, you can only play this bir- type of bir- birthday song in, in a Chili's or you can only do this in an Applebee's or something like that. Not really. It's a terror. I told you, I, I no, warned no, you it me. was going to be a terrible <laughs> analogy. But no, yeah, you like- you guys have the pro audio part
1: yeah yeah so if it was the birthday song it was you know you have license rights for whatever key or whatever groove you do it in you know what i mean like you can't you know but that's essentially what's happening so it's a it's a partnership that is mostly positive um and right now we are the pro audio side like i said you could poke around and find maybe in turkey a television or in in um israel some products but um, for the most part, here in the United States and and mostly all throughout Asia, it's our it's all our microphones that are the the popular products moving.
0: So, so now to dive a little bit deeper into into that story, which is incredible. Thank you for going through the whole thing. Um, what did when when you guys purchased the license to make these these microphones? Were you starting from zero? Did you you had to re um reverse engineer the microphones or was there information that you already had that you that that the company had obtained
1: i love this question and again i i want to encourage you to have tony tell it because his version is awesome but uh, uh some of it would start from scratch uh where where tony was like all right we really have to get these things drawn up we have to hire a process engineer to make measurements to determine what materials are being used here and gosh things like figuring out the color of the paint mm. or the tension of the diaphragm for the capsule were all kind of ground zero and tony uh you know work with the team to figure that out however i've also been with tony where we've been hanging out in places um you know in la and, and sitting with um employees from AKG or other microphone companies who are like, hey, I'm going to give you a bunch of this information uh, with our blessing and positive blessing to go and do what you're doing. And we've been handed blueprints or have been handed really important um, tooling and things from other people, which was such a blessing and that, that's helped us out a lot. So a little bit of half and half, I would say for our flagship product, that is our most popular we started from ground zero with like you know no no assistance drawing wise or mechanic wise where some of our other products we had assistance because people gave us blueprints or things like that so
0: what would be what would be a company's incentive to give you guys blueprints like that um they had no interest in doing what we were doing because they
1: maybe know how hard it was or know what the struggle is. And they have more advanced processes or more advanced techniques that make them money faster. So they just have gone down that route where they're like, listen, if you want to be what we used to be and do the authentic thing, God bless you. But we're not, we're not going down that route because we can, our money's over here. But if you want to be true to this, cool. You know, we honor that. So I would say it's more along that line.
0: Gotcha. What is the flagship product for Telefunken right now?
1: Uh, so this this mic, the Elam Two Fifty One E, right? It is it's the uh, it's a large diaphragm vacuum tube based condenser, and uh, you know you hear it pretty much on a lot of the pop music that's on on the air right now. Um, you may have seen it in. I mean, it showed up in a few commercials at the Super Bowl just this last year, but the mic has truthfully been around for almost 70, 80 years. Um, the, the original Telefunken made around 2,000 units, and we have made over 2,000 units. So there's okay. almost 4,000, 4, almost 5,000 units in the world that exist. So. Wow.
0: Wow. What is it that makes these mics so special? Um, as compared to the vintage versions, is it because they're, um, just truthfully replicated or is it the, um, would it be the materials used? What is it that makes these microphones so good and why uh, are they so good? Um, so
1: I, gosh, this is a whole podcast on its own, but the originals, um, had some rare tubes that are no longer in production now so when someone says oh i really like the sound of this one original version they might be honing in on saying "Ooh, the classic tube sound um but truthfully we know that new tubes are made just as well and can sound just as good but i think there is a a thing for some audiophile purists who want to know that the tube that's in there was the tube that was originally intended and made 60 years ago, so you have like a new old stock tube. So people tend to go towards that um, sound, but for, for Telefunken, we're able to achieve, achieve that with a new tube, sounds great, has low self noise. The other part is the capsule, right? The capsule is the part that picks up the sound. It's almost like the lens on the camera. And with a really good quality camera, you can interchange the lens. You can do wide zoom or you can do macro. So you have to think about the capsule as having that type of sensitivity for the audio. And our capsules are handmade. They're hand tensioned um, and they're glued. It's not like a, a machine punching or processing these things. So with our new microphones, we like to achieve a very consistent um, approach from capsule to capsule, whereas with the vintage mics, they were less consistent. They weren't coming off the factory equal each time because they they weren't able to achieve the tolerances that we can now with modern production. So there's like this thing that happens with vintage guys who are like, I really want the vintage tube, but it's sort of hit or miss with the capsule. And with our microphones, we are super consistent with our capsule every time and have been for many years now. And our vacuum tubes are also great in low self-noise. So I think people like to talk about the tube in the capsule the most and how that affects the tone of their voice. Now, with the ELAM251, the idea is that it's actually very transparent and very clear and doesn't have a lot of coloration. Where the other mic that we make in that line, the U forty seven, which you see Paul McCartney in front of, and you know Michael Jackson, and that that adds coloration and like Frank front.
0: Sinatra made it pretty fast. Yeah,
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at two tones, two sides of the audio spectrum, sort of with the two fifty one being bright, open, airy, transparent. Think. John Mayer, Ariana Grande, Peter Gabriel, vocal sound right in your face. And then the U47, like you just said, the uh, Frank Sinatra, Paul McCartney, a little bit warmer, smoother thing. So I think those are the things that people like to talk about when they're thinking about what makes those mics so special. Um, If they're going to be very clear and transparent or if they're going to add punch and warmth and tone.
0: And why can't a... uh, a different, um, a different microphone manufacturer, a different company that's making a cheaper version of these microphones. Why can't they achieve these same things? Is it because it's it's lesser materials, or they're using plastic where you're using metal? Is it the body Does the body of the microphone have anything to do really with with the tone that you're going to get, or is it all about the capsule and the and the tube? Uh, again, you could talk about that forever. There's some great. Podcasts I know there's there. there's some there's some things here that I'm like, oh man, I wish yeah. we had a lot of time. So like,
1: so so Matt McGlinn and um, gosh, I forget the name of. Uh, well, he has a he has a cool microphone company called Roswell Audio, but check out his his podcast about this stuff. He can riff on this stuff forever. But um, I believe that with inexpensive stuff, you can get an amazing sound, and I believe that with really expensive stuff you can get terrible sound um with the stuff that comes from overseas factories from china you just have to look out for consistently consistency they're trying to spit this stuff out as fast as possible but at Mm -hmm. the same time they know what they're doing they know how to measure they know how to do this stuff i think you just have to figure out which factory you're working with um and be careful um and then the sum of all those parts um even though we're not talking about the capsule or the components, the metalwork, the housing, all those things have a resonant frequency. They create a vowel when they all get put together. And you have to be mindful of that. And if those parts are inconsistent, um, that's that's a problem sonically. Finish, paint, engraving, glue. Glue. On ex- inexpensive stuff that comes from overseas, all that stuff's going to wear down and fall off and break a lot faster than maybe the people who use American plating or something that's higher quality, a powder coating. So you're when you're paying for a higher expensive microphone, you're paying probably for more higher uh, to- tighter tolerances, uh, better machining, more precision in your assembly, um, better quality of materials, and the form, the fit, and the finish is all better. For example, I could show you mics that come from overseas where if you try to take them apart with a screwdriver, the experience on all four or five of those is totally different because the screws go in all crooked, but with an American or a European or a higher-end manufactured piece, they put more time into making sure the threads are tapped the right way and the pitches are correct and all that stuff. So, it, you know, you can go on forever with that. Um, sonically, in the end, uh, and then you might, you know, you can get some cool sounding stuff with inexpensive stuff, but with Telefunken, I think you're, you're getting a premium tube, premium machining, better accessories. For example, the cabling is very important. Uh, we use high end cabling that comes from Europe. Uh, you know, you can get fine cable from overseas, from Asia, but you got to be prepared for breakage or breakdown or poor soldering or something that might happen. Um, so uh, those are the things you're going to look out for in terms of like quality and understanding why things might cost differently. Um, but I just also want to add that while you got to look out for things that come from overseas, it's also you got to look out for stuff that comes here. So um, people want to put down some of the manufacturing over there, but they have to be doing it good. They're doing it just as good or better. So, and we've heard awesome things about emerging markets like Northern Africa and Mexico, places having some great um, machining and factories that can assist the pro audio industry. So,
0: yeah, I mean, just the attention to detail—you think with something like that, with small components, with with fragile components, it has has to be there has to be a a sense of accuracy when it when it comes to something like that. Right, right, right. Now. How important is the live audio portion to the telefunken business? I mean you, you see the beautiful mics um, you know in front of you and, and, and stuff like that and the u47 that you've been talking about but like as far as the like the 80 and the 81 and and how how out there are those mics in the market? I, I've only tried them a couple of times via uh, Andy, And the guys from Bronze Radio Return have uh, uh, Rob, who's a great friend, has 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 let me kind of like I've sang through one a couple of times for rehearsals and stuff. And I'm like, oh, these are interesting and they're really robust. You know, that that's one thing I really noticed about those microphones is that they they feel like they could probably take a beating.
1: Yeah. So um, we do. You know, not 10,000 pieces a year, but to put in perspective i've heard other other brands do 10 times out a week you know what i mean so um but uh we we have gotten out into the market we're there we are not we're not the third or fourth biggest dynamic brand out there but we're up there um it's great to see the m80 showing up uh it's been out for since 2008 maybe or seven so almost 13, 14 years now. Um, and the M81 being a, a, a its kind of counterpart. So the M80 is a bright, more open sounding dynamic, where the M81 is sort of flat and more neutral. And the idea was that we bookend the sonic spectrum of product offerings, where maybe the SM58 or the Sennheiser mics, oops, Sennheiser mics are right in the middle. The M80 is brighter and the M81 is darker. And, and that was sort of the strategy. And then those things. For vocals, you know, you could put the M80 on a male and an M81 on a female, or then you could put those things like on a M81 would be great on a horn because it could smooth off some of the top end Uh, M80 back on snare because it's a little bit brighter. So for those two sounds, we have the handheld versions. We also have the wireless capsule that threads onto a wireless transmitter. And then we have uh, the short versions that go on the toms. So, uh, or, you know, can go in front of a guitar amp. So, um, and yeah, we're, we're, they're out there, you you know, they're, they're, they're covered and in stock by a lot of the good dealers. It's my, you know, it's my job to make sure our dealers have them. So they're, they're definitely very popular right now. And I'll say this sort of freak thing, which they did not grow at all during the pandemic, but did not go down at all during the pandemic, which was weird because there was no live shows. Um, But now that the pandemic is hopefully behind us or this phase of it is, we're seeing a nice new increase of of orders from them coming in. So we're excited.
0: Why do you think it remained consistent like that throughout the pandemic? Um,
1: I don't know. I think there was people who still had a little bit of hope wanting something to go down. um, And they were buying... Uh, for their podcast, for their at home, you know what I mean. So True. I think that was what was going on.
0: So. Yeah, and I know. I mean, I'm sure a, a bajillion podcast popped up during the course of the pandemic, and people live streaming and everything. Like I, I know that I personally, you know, I had a lot of this stuff before, um, but. You know as far as like camera equipment things like that and and camera microphones and stream decks and all kinds of crazy stuff um i didn't stop buying anything <laughs> like you know that's the best part about being a musician is gear and and buying and and getting new stuff and and finding a new voice and finding a new palette to to in uh, a new uh, canvas to paint on
1: yeah uh, you you could do a whole podcast about the pro audio industry how it exploded during the pandemic. Um, you know the the things that were being said to me was some of the major dealers uh, were experiencing Black Friday level sales. Right, you know, Black Friday after Thanksgiving where everything's on sale. Black Friday level sales for weeks straight. You know, oh, yeah. you, like. It was like having Black Friday fifteen times a month. It was just like, yo, this is crazy. Light um, all up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's caused major delays in production, major back orders. Um, you know, I I heard a one major guitar company, you know, was basically back ordered a two two years on two and a half years on their stuff. You know, our high end stuff right now is back end is back ordered about eighteen months, but we're we're catching up. And that phenomenon was I think also around with the, not the extreme sports, but I think we saw that with bicycles and we saw that with, um, uh, I mean, weird stuff going on with cars right now, you know? Oh (laughs) yeah, totally.
0: (laughs) I just bought, I just got a new car Yeah, and it was, you know, you have to, you have to wait weeks and, and, uh, you know, it could, it, could be t- uh, be totally worse, but it's like you know, no one's getting deals on any cars right now. Do the uh, where I, I meant to ask you where where do the tubes come from for the microphones?
1: All right, good question. Um, the tubes we have suppliers for um, new new production tubes um, that come from Slovakia and Russia. But those are not the those tubes uh, don't go into all of our microphones. In fact, they actually go into only two of our microphones. I would say the majority of our microphones have tubes that come from our private New Old Stock collection. So Tony, the owner, uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, did go buy out um, a couple warehouses full of tubes. Wow because he was going, you know, he knew that this was going to happen. What's happening now where there's a tube shortage. So um, we have maybe 200,000 tubes in our inventory. So it's about at the moment, a 10 year supply for our current production. Uh, And that includes tubes that we bought from, uh, not, not factories, but warehouses like in California, Southern California, where they were, climate controlled and temperature controlled, and there was no issues with moisture. And a lot of these things are tubes that were originally sent to the military. So General Electric would make tubes, joint army, Navy tubes to be used for broadcast and communication. And then they would never be used. They would just sit in a military store stock room. So we would get all these tubes still factory sealed. Um, A lot of them are dated from the mid 80s, So we're opening them up, you know, this year for the first time and they're about 40 years old. Um, And then we have tubes that we get from Europe Um, and those, those when we're getting, you know, a thousand or a few thousand at a time. So we might have one run of microphones that might utilize one batch of tubes and then we'll have to change over from one brand to another. Um, but still keep pushing that same mic. So you might move from a Raytheon to a National to a Philips to a General Electric to a Mullard uh, to a Telefunken. Um, So those are the the common brands that we use currently. And and we get them new old stock, which means they've basically been sitting, sealed, unopened for 40 or so years.
0: For new, for are there people out there trying to counterbalance um you know because i know the the conflict and the war and everything has affected everything and i know my good my guitar player is freaking out about tubes right now and he's trying yeah. to find everything because he has so many vintage amps and and all that um is there any like is there hope on the horizon for really good manufactured american tubes or anywhere else out in the world uh yeah. that will kind of ba- counterbalance that hopefully within that 10 year time frame that you have tubes for
1: i think so I think so. I mean, I've personally met people who are sitting on some really old tube tooling, um, and and Tony for sure also knows people who have stuff in Rhode Island. Actually, I don't want to give away that too much information, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but yo, the other thing is that the the factories that are currently making them in Slovakia and in Russia. Um, they'll still be able to make lim- them. There, you know, there was for sure issues, and there will be a little bit, you know, continuing as long as there's war stuff happening. But they can still make them, and are still making them. And they've sent us communications, just saying, yeah, we're just we're doing this. It's just delayed, so it's going to take some time. And then I think we have to look to Asia and China for making tubes as well. They're 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 definitely going to be making them there. So I think there will be hope in the future. Um, sure there's a lot of articles popping up about that right now. You can, you can read a lot of different opinions. I'm not a total expert, but
0: I know that we can get them still. So Nice. Um, now with, with your own, are you doing any of your own playing out and stuff like that ha, has, has working with um, working for telefunken helped you meet new people to like get out there and, and be more active in the music community. Like what does the music community in Connecticut mean to you?
1: All right. I'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll say this and I, I'll leave you with this. I, ha- I have to, I have to move on to an, a- another matter, but I, I love that question. I wouldn't work for Telefunken uh, if I wasn't totally obsessed with playing music and playing with microphones and having my own equipment. Right. So I get to work at Telefunken as my day job, but I, I'm not as hands-on with the equipment. I'm more of an in- administrator and, you know, an operations guy. So when I leave, I need to play some music. So I have the ability to use some telephone and stuff when doing that. But in my free time, I do play in a band, and I do try to record music as much as possible, try to record two or three bands a month, like either remote, multi-track, or in the field, and constantly mixing every day in my studio. But I have a energetic folk-pop band, which we do 99% covers, um, which is very loose reggae kind of fusion grooves where I play acoustic guitar, you know, and uh, that allows me to release and have a ton of fun. And it's got a little bit of a jam band vibe and a little bit of a folk band vibe. And, um, you know, we've played with Andy and Rob, they both sit in, they're kind of honorary members of the band. Uh, And yeah, that allows me to release and really really have fun and play with toys and play with gear so and harford harford is home i i say this very lovingly it's a minor league city it's stuck in between some major league spots like boston and new york and providence and it gets overlooked but we get the we get the um we get the benefit of kind of snagging these people as they're passing by and having them come hang out in harford right and the scene here is super underrated and there are some amazing, amazing musicians, amazing music enthusiasts, amazing audio media, video people, um, just a crushing scene. And, uh, So I want everyone to know about Harford. Come check it out the next time you're around. Look for the Rad Bands. I don't want to name them because there's just so many awesome ones, but I'll send
0: you an email with the link for them all. How about that? (laughs) Please do. Yeah. New England's rising star. Yeah, dude. Dude, thanks. Thank you so much, Alan. I really appreciate you taking the time sitting down and doing this with me. It's just, I love these. I love, um, all the information in the history of, of music and gear and, and the microphone. I mean, microphones are just so interesting with them within themselves. And for someone that knows the history and cares so much about it, it's, it's uh, you're, you're, I wish I could talk to a million of you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, man, I want to, I want to send you a list of a couple other people to talk to And I want to send. I love it, that a, a bit of an invite for, for your band to come and hang out at, at Telefunken. Right. So we'll, we'll connect after that after and keep the
0: dialogue going. Absolutely. I love it. Love it. Right Thanks on. Alan. Thanks Jesse. Cheers. That was the episode with Alan Venetosh. Please check out Telefunken microphones if you are a a new musician and you're and or if you're a musician in general all you've been fed is sure microphones which are great microphones there's great stuff out there but please the attention to detail here and the history behind these microphones and and the people that work there like please try them out they're really really great microphones and um and i highly rec- i highly recommend it if you're getting started if you if you're looking to find something that you really like and you're going to use for a long time something that's super high quality something that's built really great please 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 check out telefunken microphones you will not you will seriously not be disappointed they're amazing and they look really great too um, alright that's it for me guys enjoy the music and I will see you next week goodbye
2: Love for-